Welcome to the Radical Brilliance Podcast with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Claire Dubois, who's going to talk to us about Tree Sisters. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Radical Brilliance podcast. Today's episode is with Claire Dubois, who is the founder of the Tree Sisters, which is an organization that encourages people all over the world to donate money to replanting forestation. She doesn't actually plant the trees herself, nor do her staff, but it's a fundraising organization and they have uh, planting partners in Madagascar and in South America who do the actual planting. So this is, of course, a great thing. I mean, who could argue, I suppose some people could, but most people could not argue against the wisdom of putting more trees back on the planet, which can, of course, absorb carbon dioxide and create more oxygen. But the reason that I invited Claire today, we're not an environmental program, we're a program about radical brilliance. And the reason I invited Claire today is because she is such a perfect example of someone who got a calling. In her case, the calling was having a car accident and running into a tree in her car. You know, actually having a collision with a tree could not be more poignant and uh, <laughs> intensely prophetic. So she had this, um, this collision with a tree and she heard a voice. And you're going to hear about that in the podcast. But I think, you know, all of us, we are we are getting these messages all the time, whether we have the wisdom to listen or not. So I would not suggest to you that our guest today is the great exception, but the great example of paying attention to those voices. In her case, the voice came through pretty strongly, literally as, a, as a, an accident, but so did mine. You know, I had a car accident that prompted the writing of Radical Brilliance and the initiating of all of this. So Claire Dubois is the great example of someone who received a strong calling and then fully, totally, without any reservation at all, gave her life to that calling. You're going to hear a little bit of doom and gloom in this podcast, you know, that we only have a few years left um, and kind of the game's over. Um, of course, we can view those kind of messages as, as a, a dire warning. We can view them as, you know, as a depressing uh, message to give up. I think you have to make your own decision. Um, but whether you feel the end of the world is nigh or not, what is really powerful, engaging, inspiring about this is the capacity to hear a calling and to follow it. Please enjoy this conversation with Claire Dubois, the founder of Tree Sisters. Hey, Claire. Hi, Arjuna. Hey. 
Thank you so much for coming by today. We live in the same little town here in the Sierra Nevada foothills. And your story is actually amazing. You know, the story of what, what happened for you in this transition of what you're doing now, it just so thoroughly embodies what this podcast and what Radical Brilliance is all about. So I want to hear a lot about what Tree Sisters is and what you're doing. But let's go back to how this began for you, because I know it was a very specific moment, a kind of a, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not going to try and describe it. I want to let you do it. But the moment when this all came to you was, 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 a, was a particular thing. So, so tell us about that. Well, I mean, actually, there were many moments in my life that yeah. were leading up to this that all kind of rang with a large clung at the point of crashing my car. Yeah. Um, the car crash was... Uh, my, initially, it was my attempt to give this to someone else because mm. I had been working in southern India um, trying to distill a reforestation strategy over there that I saw rolling out. Oh, you were already involved with trees before, before the car crash moment. Yeah. yeah. So essentially, I had for probably about six years had this nagging feeling that I was supposed to be doing something with money and trees, but I just didn't know what it was. Let's unwrap for a minute that feeling of supposed to do because that's... That's an idea some people will relate to, some won't. And even people who relate to the idea of supposed to do, it doesn't always translate into action in the way that it has for you. So t tell me about that feeling of supposed to do something. This is going to be different for everyone. Mm. You know, there's the, there's the knowledge that you're... There's that nagging feeling that you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And that's just like a nagging feeling that could feel like something's missing mm. or I'm just not, I'm not fully given in my life. Mm. For me, it was because I kept watching speakers speaking about things and I would start crying uncontrollably. Mm -hmm. And when my body does that, it's kind of, it's throwing up a signpost. Sure. And so I'd watch John Perkins talking about the rainforest. I'd watch Lynn Twist talking about, I, I kept bumping into Lynn Twist wherever I went. She mm. was there talking right. about fundraising. She was our number one podcast. <laughs> we kicked off with her. Yeah. And every time Lynn spoke, I would cry. Mm. And of course, every time Lynn speaks, she cries. Mm. But um, I, my, my beingness was going money, money, money. And then it was going trees, trees, trees. And I was going, well, okay. Mm. And so I was just sitting in this place of it's money and it's trees, but I've no idea more than that. And then I did the Pachamama uh, Awakening the Dreamer Which training. Which is all still before your car crash. Oh yeah, crash. all still yeah. before the car crash. And, um, and I loved it. And it joined all these dots for me and it made me even more like I've got to do something. Mm. And um, so, you know, we're looking for a spiritually fulfilling, socially just, ecologically sustainable presence on our planet, which is the whole Pachamama three, threesome. And when I went out to India, that was when I thought I'd found it because mm. that was what I found out there. And so mm. I was like, oh, this must be it. Um, but they wanted me to fundraise and I didn't want to fundraise. I was kind of obsessing about their social strategy because my life has always been consciousness based. And so I was looking at why is this working in a caste culture where they're all separated? You know, here is where it made sense to me because climate change was hitting sufficiently because of the amount of rivers that had dried up, because the monsoons were failing and because food was failing, that they were close enough to the, you know, it was in their faces enough mm. to be saying, okay, we need to reforest our state which was the same population as England 68 million people which state Tamil Nadu Tamil Nadu in the south okay yeah yeah 
Um, and I thought, well, if they can do it, we must be able to do it. And then this thing started in my head of, well, what if we could bring a reforestation revolution to the West? What if we could normalize it And again, it in the this West? happened before you had this car crash moment. Okay, yeah. So, there was a whole load of things that happened. Mm -hmm. And actually, the one that was most powerful was... Um, taking part in ritual theatre in which I played the earth in a moment where we were having to uh, portray the rape of the planet. Hmm. And so I was officially raped in front of a large amount of people as the planet. Hmm. But in our little cameo, once where, I'd been... Where, that was in England? That was in England. Okay. Once I'd been stripped, hmm. which was an interesting process in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, I was lying on the floor naked in front of all these people, having yeah. screamed my head off. So essentially what happened, and it was so beautifully simple, was I was wearing everybody's clothes, so six people's clothes, and they basically stripped me. And so they mined me and deforested me and overfished me and everything else that we're doing to our planet. And all the time I was handing out cups of tea. Mm -hmm. So it was just this, it was this portrayal of unconditional giving on the role of the planet and being completely invisible to so, those... So sorry, was this like a theatre performance? It was a theatre performance. I see, the people yeah. were watching. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it also, you know, in that experience of handing out cups of tea and being completely invisible hmm. and raped again hmm. and then throwing myself on the floor, when I hit the floor, I went into shock. And that was the turning point in my life because that was the point where... I realized you can't put a planet into therapy. They were going to put me back on the throne and dress me again and we were all going to be fine. Well, you don't get to dress the planet again once you've completely denuded her. Largely it's over mm. because of the feedback loops in climate change. Mm. And that was, I got off the floor. They put me back on my throne. I looked at the room. Everybody was sobbing. It had completely hit a note. And then after that, we were given presents and mine was a book and it had a cloud on it which was significant for me because I've been having nightmares about no more clouds for about five years. Hmm. And in the cloud were these words, you can change the world. Hmm. And my life flipped in that moment because I couldn't stop crying and I realized I, had, I was arguing with myself because my inadequacy was saying you can do nothing and my soul was saying you have to do everything and I couldn't bring the two together. And I think that is a place that a lot of people go. Hmm. They see the immensity of what's needed. They know there's more in them. I think there's radical brilliance in everybody, frankly. Mm, mm. But so many of us have got our brakes on. And if we're lucky, then something will happen that will throw us up against the, the need that is calling to our brilliance to be birthed, and then we'll be brave enough to birth it. But very often, we'll just sit there going, right. I can't Let, bring let's it. Let's come back to that. Tell me about the car crash. What happened there? Well, I was, I was en route to a meeting to try and give my social strategy away. Okay. And um, instead what happened was I swerved on ice. I where, was, where was this? This was in England. Yeah. This was about within half a mile of my own home. Okay. I decided to take a shortcut, which was an interesting idea. Were you living in the Lake District? No, it? I was living near Bath. Near Bath, okay. I was in the West, south. West country, yeah. yeah. And it was very early in the morning. I was late and it was icy. And I took the steep road with the bendy corners, really bendy corners, and I got out of control. Mm. And my car was heading for, for an edge, which if I'd gone over it, I could have died. Mm -hmm. um, I might not have done, but I could have done. And instead, a tree stopped me. A tree stopped you. A tree okay. stopped me going over an edge, mm. which took me four years to see the metaphor of that for mm -hmm. humanity and reforestation. Mm. Um, but when I hit the tree, 
there was a blinding flash of white light inside the car. Mm-hmm. And inside the white light were two words, the, the experiment in Times Italics, which I even remember thinking, <laughs> I hate that font. I mean, it was this bizarre <laughs> moment. Okay. And a voice started talking to me. And it was like a man was sitting in the car with me. It was a male voice. Wow. And it just said, humanity is running out of time, but it's not over yet. Hmm. It's going to take all of us rising to the challenge to get through what's coming. The hmm. single greatest threat facing humanity is fear of failure. Hmm. But you can get over fear of failure by calling everything you do an experiment because you can't fail an experiment. You can only learn. The single greatest threat to humanity is fear of failure. Okay, well, it's worth contemplating. Yeah. Fear of failure. It's interesting, you know, that you describe this, uh, this moment in somebody in the car. I don't know if you know this, but the guy who founded the Hard Rock Cafe, whose name I've forgotten, you know, he started that in Piccadilly in London. And uh, he started these Hard Rock Cafes all over the world. He was a hard party guy. And uh, he actually, dro- he literally drove over a cliff. Oh, really? And on the way down there was somebody in the car talking to him about what he should do with his life. He actually, the car landed and he was not hurt. It was a wow. bit bizarre. And uh, he went on to completely change his life. He sold the chain and devoted himself to helping the planet. He was involved in this you know, Band-Aid uh, concert. And I also, as you probably know, I had a car accident three years ago, which was what started Radical Brilliant. So it seems like Maybe this podcast should just be for people who've had, <laughs> who've had serious car accidents and then uh, gone on to devote their time to uh, saving our sorry asses. Well, lucky my, mine wasn't the, you know, the, the, the tree had like that much damage. Yeah. My car was completely written off. I was totally fine. Of course, people listening to this won't, won't be able to see the, that, that much. So you mean no, very little damage? Very little damage, like yeah. an inch of bark removed. My yeah. car was in pieces and oh. that was that. Okay. I hurt my neck slightly, but the main thing was my life turned upside down. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you got some more kind of clarity in that moment, didn't you? Well, the voice continued because mm. I, you know, it, it ended with call everything you do an experiment, which I have to say is the most brilliant bit of advice I ever had from life because you can't fail an experiment, you can only learn. And I said, well, what's the experiment? And back came, you have to reforest the tropics within 10 years. Wow. Mm. At that point, my life flashed before my eyes mm. and I realized why... Reforest the tropics. We'll talk in a minute about why particularly the tropics. Uh, you know, my life flashed before my eyes. I saw all the points leading up to... The, like, I could just see suddenly that there had been a pattern up mm. until that point that I'd been following without knowing. Mm. And then I had a premonition of what was ahead Mm. and I saw myself on stage I saw myself as a front person I saw myself running a charity Mm. and I completely freaked out because Mm. at that point I was essentially an introvert a loner Mm. um, and somebody that if you paid me you couldn't get me on stage Mm -hmm. but the voice continued Mm. and it said you have to mobilize the women the women are the missing piece so it was trees Climate change and women. Yeah. Mm. And it was linking what's happened to nature and what's happened to women. Yeah. Like, they, he basically said, you share a common history. What's been done to one has been done to the other. Wow. And it was essentially naming the patriarchal patterning of suppressing the feminine, whether that's nature or life or the feminine or feminine wisdom, yeah. to the point where women are forgotten who and what they are. Mm. 
I mean, I literally heard your project is Tree Sisters. It's a crowdfunding mechanism. You have to make it as normal to give back to nature as it currently is to take nature for granted. Oh, say that again. You have to make it as normal to give back to nature as it currently is to take nature for granted. Right. Which for me is the shift from what I call an unconscious consumer species to yes. a conscious con- restorer species. You know, when I reflect on that, it's, it's actually bizarre we even have a word, nature. You know, it's a, it's a fairly recent word in our vocabulary because you don't have to go back very far till everything was nature. You know, there wasn't non-nature, right? Same with organic. You know, we, we've created the word organic not because we invented organic, because we invented non-organic. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a child, everything was organic, right? We only needed the word organic because of pesticides, and we only need the word nature because we've got used to living in environments that are completely fabricated. And we've, used, we've become used to dominating nature within everything we do and yeah. making that normal. Yeah. Which, yeah. Is the, which is the actually, out of everything that I was asked to do, is the fundamentally hardest thing. Yeah. You know, because mm. women actually want to rise together. Mm. And actually it makes an awful lot of sense to plant trees when we're pouring carbon into the atmosphere and we need to get it out because trees are carbon made visible. Yeah. But the mind shift of humanity when we have normalized for so long taking whatever we want without thinking about any consequence, essentially behaving as if we've got a finite planet that will just keep handing cups of tea out. Yeah. And she can't. She can't do it anymore. You know, the reality is the world that we grew up in is gone. Mm. Children that are born now, they'll never have what we had. In and we got... Like, yeah, because I remember I used to go... seasons. Hmm? Yeah, well, I used to go... Um, I used to go hiking in the Lake District. And you would just routinely just put your little cup under a stream and drink it. Because was, was, all the water was clean. Yeah. But uh, you don't really do that anymore. It's gone. Hmm. You know, clean water's gone, clean air's gone, clean soil is gone. It's mm, gone. Mm. And it's going faster and faster because now we're doing weather modification and we're pouring aluminium and other heavy metals into the atmosphere and it's poisoning our soils, which is poisoning our food, which basically means there's no such thing as organic anymore. Mm. And it also means that the trees are dying en masse because the metals in the soil are interfering with their ability to hydrate themselves. And when they can't hydrate themselves, then they can't ward off disease. So we've got this cascade chain reaction of poisoning our planet, which is poisoning us and essentially is destroying our ecosystems. As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week Radical Brilliance Laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the Brilliance Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world.
You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at RadicalBrilliance.com under the Events tab. So this is really grim to contemplate, isn't it? You know, because if, if we were to be talking about dry rot in the basement, you know, you can hopefully get it repaired. And if you can't, you have to move house and you've got insurance, right? If we're talking about the neighborhood going to seed, you know, like if suddenly your neighborhood gets overrun with lawyers or something and you have to, <laughs> you have to move, right? Uh, you can move to another neighborhood, right? Yeah. If you don't like your, even if you don't like your country anymore, I mean, supposing, I don't know, this is a far-fetched fantasy, but just supposing that we were living in a country where a narcissistic megalomaniac had taken over as the president. Imagine. Like, that's hard to stretch the imagination. It's fantasy. But anyway... would choose him. Yeah. Well, of course. But anyway, just supposing that happened, you could always kind of... You know, you could always go north to Canada or go back to Europe or something, right? But when it's the planet... I don't know about you, but I don't... If I dream at night, if I fantasize in the day, I don't have any memory consciously of anything except this earth. I don't, rem I don't have any knowledge of anything else but that. So when we talk about the planet in jeopardy, it's, 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 a, it's such a big deal that it actually, it, you can't help but to some degree go into denial, I, I feel. You know, it's, it's, it's such a big deal that we're talking about the entire planet in jeopardy that it's, it's very, very difficult to really stay open to the reality of the situation. It's really hard. Mm. And I... I struggle because I'm now running a women's organization that is right, like looking face on into climate change. And so I now get, and it's only actually started in the last three weeks, I'm now getting emails and Facebook messages and other things coming in on all these different channels from mothers saying, I don't know what to tell my children. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, one of my team members came to a team meeting in tears just last week mm because her seven-year-old had overheard a conversation, ran into her arms and said, I wish I'd never been born. Yeah. Seven years old. Suicide rates uh, in uh, teens and people in the early 20s are higher than ever. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think, you know, the, the big question, the, I mean, the first question I think that comes up when we look at all these rea environmental realities is, has the has the ship already hit the, the the has the Titanic already hit the iceberg and now it's just a matter of time to go down, or is there still actually the possibility to to avert the the uh, to avert the collision? If you look at science, if you just look nakedly at the science, it's over. Mm -hmm. But I'm not just looking nakedly at the science because what I'm seeing, even with Trump, even with like the insanity that's going on in the leadership around the planet, because if yeah, we look at various Venezuela, places, yeah. well, if we look at Brazil, you know, yeah. let's see how fast we can get rid of the Amazon. We seem to be in what looks like the death throes of the patriarchy. And what I mean about that is it's doing its most overt demonstration of insanity. Mm -hmm. 
And simultaneously, we're seeing the feminine rising in a way that she hasn't before. Now, I cannot conceive that the intelligence that runs this whole show would orchestrate that so that in the last four years of our existence on this planet, the feminine rises, but for no purpose. The masculine (laughs) is strutting for no purpose. My experience is having had sufficient moments in my life of profound nature connectedness when I moved beyond my ego and I experienced myself as part of nature, mm-hmm. that there is a level of power and intelligence that can come through us from a connected place yeah. that will not defile and deform and desiccate our world. It, yeah. will, bring, it will allow humanity to be a conduit of a different form of intelligence. Now, the difficulty is we're... we're trying to snuff out as fast as we can the remaining tribes on this planet who already hold that consciousness. Yeah. And we can't do that. Like one of our absolute most important thing is we have got to protect the remaining indigenous people on this planet. Mm-hmm. You know, I just read yesterday that the Indian Supreme Court has decided to evict 8 million people from the forests of India. The forest-dwelling indigenous cultures are being thrown out. God knows where they're expected to go. It's this complete ignorance around the fact that they're actually stewards of those forests working with them and they're going to end up in the slums in India. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are the things that we can't allow to happen. Mm -hmm. But we don't know who we are outside of a severed spirituality that has been disconnected from the roots of nature, which is the roots of our bodies and our psyches and everything that we are. We've only experienced ourselves operating in this weird dislocated state perceiving ourselves as separate from nature and being able therefore to trash it and somehow think that we're going to be insulated from the outcome of that. It's going to get very, very hairy. I mean, we've lost our world the way that it has been, but we also have levels of genius that we Mm. haven't tapped yet. You know, I went to um, Summit Gathering. I don't know if you know that. It's It's a conference primarily convened for millennials, but the the speakers are... uh, sometimes older than millennials. So there were two talks, uh, I think on the same day. One was with uh, Al Gore. Mm. And then a few hours later, I went to a talk with Peter DeMantis, who gives out the X Prize, which is mostly for technology that is supportive of, of um, environmental healing. And they both said the same thing. They didn't know each other. They hadn't talked before, but they both said the same thing. Al Gore and Peter DeBantis, they both said, you know, we have the solutions. Like in the last years, there have been tremendous advances in technology. We have everything we need to set this straight, except the willingness. We've got everything except the willingness. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, there, there's technology apparently built now that quite rapidly will pull CO2 back out of the atmosphere, you know. There's, there's all kinds of technology built for cleaning oceans. We just don't have the willingness. We don't. And you can see that primarily uh, written large in the, in the administration of this country we're sitting in, where you know, we, we've, got a, we've got an administration who, um, who seems to be enthusiastically, I mean, denying climate change. Well, not just denying climate change, but also seeing just how fast he can destroy the last remaining right. areas of sacred land. Pro- pro- uh, advocating a reliance on coal. So it seems like the, the, from what Al Gore and Peter DeMantis were saying, and I'm just quoting because I, <clears throat> I don't have access to the research, but what they were saying is the problem primarily is attitudinal more than anything else. It's consciousness. Yeah. But that same consciousness says 
let's create machines to pull carbon out of the atmosphere mm. and let's then lock that, that carbon underground. Okay, so show me a machine that can sequester carbon, produce oxygen, produce water vapor, produce rainfall, transform the entire climate of entire continents, restore biodiversity, create soil. The list goes on, mm. you know, fill the watersheds and our rivers and our streams. Um, and then you can say, well, who creates the best technology on this planet? Yeah, the, the earth. Does. You know, but actually, you know, let's destroy the forests to mine the metal that we can turn into machines that try and sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, okay, can we please move beyond thinking that, that technology is going to save us? Yeah. And can we look at nature's technology and the fact yeah. that if we mm -hmm. can give her back more of herself and restore her forests fast, mm -hmm. she's going to be able to do a hell of a lot more because we are when you lose forest, you lose rain. Yeah. People don't look at forest and think rain, but actually you look at forest, you think rain, you think food. Yeah, that's actually, this is very much uh, David Suzuki's point, you know, the, the Canadian uh, environmentalist. Uh, there was another conference I went to called Creating Equilibrium that was convened by Stephen Kotler, you know, who wrote Stealing Fire. Hmm. He had a huge array of um, people at the cutting edge of technology who were, you know, building hydroponic vegetable farms on the roofs of skyscrapers and it all look great and then the final day David Suzuki shows up and says just what you were saying it's yeah. like can we just leave it all alone <laughs> you know, we just actually back off but of course the problem is we've now got you know close to 8 billion people all wanting to improve quotes improve their quality of life you know what, what they've been told that it looks like that's a lot of people all vying for the latest gadget so, and the majority of the metals that are needed for our smart technologies are under the remaining intact forest landscapes of this planet. Yeah. So we are right up against, yeah. do we want convenience for the last few years of our existence or are we actually going to choose a future? Because yeah. we can't have both. Yeah, exactly. So, boy, I mean, this is, you know, I guess you live in this all the time. This is really sobering and difficult stuff to look at. You know, it's, it's the... The temptation to denial and just carrying on is huge. So somebody listening to this who says, yeah, okay, I mean, yes, you're right. What's a, what is a good way to lead a human life today? And if, if I, today's Friday. I'm going to go through the rest of my Friday. <laughs> What's the best way to go through this Friday so I'm not part of the problem but become part of the solution? It's a complex question and one that I don't have a 90-second answer to. Yeah. Um, I choose to stay awake mm. and I'm not going to say it's comfortable, mm -hmm. but I would say that being awake and being informed mm -hmm. gives you the best chance of leading a life that can actually contribute to the solution. Because I actually believe that as life, which we all are, life does not want to snuff itself out, right. does not want to lose all of its species, which is where we're headed right now. Yeah. And by awake, let's just make sure we, we clarify that. By awake, I assume, I'm assuming you're using that word to mean cognizant of the reality. Cognizant not, of reality. Not in denial. Yeah, yeah, do not stick your head. You know, and I'm not saying you can't have a break. Like, I, I get to the end of my day sometime and I look at my husband and I just say, I need to watch something that removes me completely. Mm. Like, yeah. my favorite thing is, like, put me in front of sci-fi. Better still, put me in front of Star Trek because then... I was bitch... I was... Um, binge watching this is us last night yeah, yeah. like I, need, I, I 
I love Star Trek because they live in a reality where money does no longer exist because money right. is driving our destruction. I want that reality where money no longer exists. Burning Man will give you that for a few days. And, you know, but the majority of the time I live, I live on that edge and I choose to live there mm. because, well, two, two main reasons. One, we're losing our planet. Mm. If we're losing our planet, I want to be fully awake to her. Yeah. fully awake to that part of myself that is nature yeah. and able to be present to and bearing witness to and loving and appreciating every last minute. You know, right now we're starting to lose our madrones. They're dying across California. They're dying on our property. They're dying on other properties. They're going, we're losing them. They've already gone in Oregon. Like I am spending time with the madrones on my property. I'm not looking away and pretending like it's not happening. You know, when I drove through Colorado two years ago and every tree I saw was either dead or dying, I had to stop and be with them and grieve with them and be real about it because I found watching everybody just driving through this death zone as if it wasn't there, the, it feels like such a state of fracturedness, it mm. deeply disturbs me. So it's distressing, but I'd rather be distressed and alive and let myself grieve than numb. Because when you're numb, you're not going to do anything. If you grieve, you've got the best possible chance of hitting your creativity because the two are absolutely linked. How is that? Because your grief connects to your love. Mm -hmm. Your love connects you to what matters. Mm -hmm. That connects you directly to the part of you that wants to rise in response to what yeah. matters. I don't know if you remember in the Brilliant Cycle, we have this, this quadrant called six to nine, which is moving from feelings of guilt, shame, remorse, despair, these kind of dark feelings that you pass through learning into humility. And it's only in humility that you actually can open yourself to something bigger than yeah, your mind. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, if I couldn't cry, tree sisters wouldn't exist. Yeah, right. First of all, I'd never have followed all the breadcrumbs that were laid for me every time I started crying. Second of all, if I hadn't grieved the Gulf Stream already, grieved the trees that I love, grieved the species that are going, I wouldn't have had the courage to get over my own introversion hmm. my own inadequacy the arguments i had in my head that said there was you know i had nothing to give hmm. i couldn't face a life where if somebody said what did you do that i couldn't say i did everything mm -hmm. i did everything i could and if a child turns to me and say i can't believe you've done this to us i will be able to say i gave it everything i've got every waking moment i have given to this and that's what i you know I see climate change as the biggest gauntlet ever thrown down by life for our radical brilliance to be birthed. You know, I saw a, I saw a panel actually with um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was on it. And, uh, She's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, and Bernie Siegel was on it. Uh, not Siegel, Bernie Sanders. Sanders was on it. And then also this young actress, I forget. Uh, anyway, she's great. It, it, it was a, a panel. And the, the Van James. Hmm? Van Jones as well. I don't know if, it was on, if he was on this particular panel I saw, but they were talking about these issues. Um, the actress, she was, she was very involved in, in uh, the, the uh, Standing Rock, and she was in this... Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyway, she's been in a lot of great films. And she was saying she has relatives who um, live in Pennsylvania, I guess, who are coal miners, Right. And she says her relatives, they're really willing to shift their occupation to making solar panels or whatever. They're, they're happy to do that. They just don't have exactly the opportunity. So they're willing to shift. But in the meantime, they have to put food on their table. Yeah. So they go back down the coal mine. 
right? And I see that's actually, I see in, in different ways, to different degrees, that's true for all of us. You know, we, not all of us, for, for all of us who care about this, we, at least in my case, you know, I see the, I see some part of the global problem. And I want to make a difference, but I still end up getting on planes, you know. I still, I mean, we're just shifting now to two electric cars, but for a long time we've been driving, you know, we've had an, a Subaru, which is burning gas, you know. So I kind of, I think of myself as really concerned and really, and then, you know, I do my best to recycle and this and that, but I, I know that I'm sloppy. You know, there's a lot of ways that I'm actually just out of laziness or unconsciousness still contributing to the problem. Going and buying plastic stuff, buying stuff on Amazon, you know. I'm, I mean, every time I buy something plastic, it's more, yeah. it's more petrol that got used up, you know. And so I, I see this as a, as, as a really endemic situation that we, many of us, we care, we go to conferences. You know, I was at, I was at Summit where there were 3,000 people who really cared. But of course, convening a conference like that and everybody flying there is kind of like, you know, we're being part of the problem to talk about the problem, you know. So how, how can one resolve that? It seems like in one way, the only way you can not have, you, the only way you can not be contributing is go live in a log cabin. I know, it's impossible. I mean, the, the reality is right now, our system is built to be this way. Yeah. And we have, and that's what frightens me, is we have this not just the momentum of consciousness that now expects that and has got comfortable with that and is completely convenience-oriented. Yeah. But it's also that the whole system is built around convenience. Right. You know, Greta Thunberg, who, you know, Theresa May was saying, all you children, you need to get back into school. What about the teachers that have, you know, been doing your lesson plans? And she said, well, what a shame that 30 years ago you didn't start to take radical action around climate change for us. Mm -hmm. You know, this this business of... um, we had time. We had time when, you know, I remember aged 17 at school looking at climate change on the front page of The Independent and just going, oh, my God. Well, I'm now 48. Mm. And nothing, like, nothing has happened that's commensurate. We've had all that time where we could have actually slowed that momentum, yeah. changed our infrastructure, yeah. no longer been a, an extractive carbon economy. And now suddenly we've got this tiny window. You know, the IPCC report said 12 years. They doctored it. It was seven. Mm. And actually seven is what the indigenous people of the planet are saying is how, how long we've got. Which seven from means, today. No, well, seven... Uh, they can't see beyond 2026. And that's the most sobering thing in my life, because one of my dear friends in Hawaii uh, gathered indigenous elders from all around the world, all different cultures. They'd never come together and they all had the same timeline. They can't see beyond 2026. But what they see right before then is what they call cataclysmic climate change, where everything suddenly happens all at once. So which says to me. Um, I don't know whether that's a foregone conclusion or whether we've got time in the meantime. It could be a kind of warning dream. You know, sometimes you... Premonitions. Some, you know, yeah, sometimes you dream about... A possible future. You, well, it's sometimes you dream about a plane crash so you don't get on the plane and the plane crashes and you survive because you had the dream. If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our eight-week online group coaching program. 
It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole Radical Brilliance cycle. You'll have an accountability partner in another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself into the source of your own creativity and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab. I think it just comes back to this question of how can you and I live? You know, how, how, how can we make, how can every decision we make throughout the day be... Make a difference. Yeah. And so to that, you know, back to the car crash, can you make it as normal to give back to nature as it currently is to take nature for granted? How I'm translating that initially is, can I help business think about embedding restoration in every financial transaction. Like if we've normalized every financial transaction basically being about taking from the planet, yeah. can we start to embed a kickback? You can't take from the planet without giving back in some way or form. So restoration needs to become the new norm. And, you know, if we're talking the forests, we need to restore the kelp. I mean, the kelp is dying now because the oceans are turning acid and they're warming up too fast. However, if we can radically reforest our planet you know we're not just locking carbon into those trees and into the soil but we're cooling the ocean we're cooling the air and that is what we need to do because trees produce the water vapor that cools and they produce our rain so what's the relationship between reforesting and just stopping deforesting because you can reforest but if you know the brazilian government is busy tearing through the plowing through it's like you know which is going to go faster it seems it's like both. It, it it's seems, both and. Yeah. I see it absolutely like a figure of eight. You've got avoided deforestation, reforestation, avoided deforestation, reforestation. Yeah. So right now we're looking at projects in the Amazon where indigenous tribes who are trying to go back in and actually replant the areas that have already been turned to pasture land. Wow. We have got to basically plant around existing intact forest landscapes to protect them. Mm. We've got to stop deforestation. There should just be a law. Should have been a law 20 years ago. No more primary forests gone. But they want the gold underneath it, and they want the, you know, the different metals underneath it, or they want this right. or that. Yeah. Um, at what point are we going to say, don't just keep the oil in the ground, keep the gold in the ground, keep everything in the ground, because without the forests, essentially, we die. So for me, okay, we've got, we're planting in Brazil, Tree Sisters is planting in Brazil. The old governments uh, made it normal, basically, for... Well, there was a law passed that if you were a farmer in Brazil, 20% of your land had to go back to forest. We've now got the new guy, Bolsonaro, who's come in, who's basically saying, let's get the indigenous people out mm. and let's mine the hell out of the Amazon. 
If they do that, mm. we're done because the Amazon produces the majority of the rain for the planet. So whilst that's happening, for us, it's a case of, okay, where can we plant and who can we get to plant and how can we normalize planting? So let's, let's in the last little window of time we have together, let's talk about what Tree Sisters is doing, the organization that, that got founded and that actually got named at that moment of hitting the tree. So what are you guys doing? We're doing what we were told. Mm -hmm. We're following our initial operating instructions, which is we're trying to make it as normal to give back as it is to take nature for granted. You know, the other thing that I heard was women have to remember who and what they are. Feminine consciousness has to be reinstated or it's over. So reforest the tropics, call everything an experiment. Basically, as far as I'm concerned, give it everything you've got to help women emerge from the fear that we all have of bringing our leadership because we're so confronted in a patriarchal world that we're not allowed to bring ourselves forward. And if we do, we do it in a way that basically tries to outmen the men rather than yeah. essentially feeling for what our, our feminine leadership actually is from a connected place. If we can mm. connect to nature as our nature and bring forward a different intelligence, then we can potentially do this thing that I was asked, which is reinstate feminine consciousness, which is the relatedness between us and nature. Because unless we, unless we fundamentally shift our consciousness to one that embraces nature, you know, the indigenous cultures of Central America call feminine consciousness nature-based consciousness. They actually see feminine nature as the connection to the natural world. And that's what I was also told in the car crash, mm -hmm. which is why women, and it's not saying that men can't do this, it's just that we have far too much unbalanced masculine leadership in this world. And there needs to be a, a, a fierce rising of love and relational consciousness that can extend to include relationship with the natural world if we're going to value her enough not to trash her. So we're training women. We're, we're running trainings. We're running courses. We're running um, global meditations. We're... We're creating systems to yeah, wait, support you're, you're train, women. Training women to do what? We're, we're running trainings which help them understand how to relate to what's going on, how to relate to their fear of themselves, their fear of each other, their disconnection from the planet. Okay. So that they start to make this internal adjustment. It's like we're denormalizing the insanity that's been normalized. Mm. And, when you, and when you step into the, the normalized chaos that we're in, it will make you feel mad. So what, what, you, what is Tree Sisters doing specifically relative to reforestation? Well, so then we're asking all those women when they feel able to start reallocating funds. So we're normalizing the reallocation of funds away from taking all the time to giving back. So, so what, essentially that, the funds means, go then? that means they go to our reforestation partners. Mm -hmm. uh, who oh, are you have reforestation partners. We I have see. reforestation partners. I'm oh. not a... I do not uh, know how to plant trees in Madagascar in a right. way that... Oh, so you will. raise money and send we it to money. partners. And yeah. who, who, are the, who are the primary partners who are planting trees? Primary partners are Eden Reforestation. Uh -huh. We're planting with them two major projects in Madagascar and one in Nepal. Hmm. Uh, we Forest, who are Belgian-based, we're planting with them in Brazil and the Khasi Hills in northern India. Nice. We've got International Tree Foundation, who used to be called Men of the Trees, which is rather wonderful. Hmm. And they are planting for us in Cameroon and... Kenya, right. and then we've got Project Green Hands in so Southern you, India. So Tree Sisters is really a fundraising organization that then 
gives money to organizations that, yeah. that do forestry. We're like, a, we're like a funnel. Yes. But we're an educational funnel. Yeah. So we are trying to, because our whole remit is grassroots yeah. awakening. Yeah. Can we collectively normalize all of us reallocating? So right now, when you think everything that we spend basically takes, we're saying, okay, can, how much are you willing to give back? Mm-hmm. You know, whilst we're figuring out how to change our lifestyles, if we can be planting 100 tropical trees a month or 200 tropical trees a month, you know, we can be uh, cooling our world, sequestering our carbon, you know, and I'm not one for carbon offsetting. You know, I don't like, you know, we're so far beyond the, well, shall I measure it out and figure out how much to take out? Because we're so overloaded with carbon now that it's got to be a case of what's the most I can do. And so individuals, businesses, churches, other or any organizations, governments need to be thinking along the lines of how much can we throw at this? You know, how much can we strengthen the living systems of this planet to bring herself back into balance? And we, that's something that we can all do. You can do it right now. You can think not from the place of what's the least I can give to feel good about myself. What's the most I can give so that I can look my children and my grandchildren in the eyes and say, I'm trying to take care of you mm. by sequestering as much carbon as I possibly can. Yeah. And the reason for the tropics is because it's a constant growing season in the tropics. So in terms of pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and locking it into the bodies and branches and leaves of the a tree... trees grow much more quickly in the They tropics. grow three times as fast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then mangroves um, sequester another 30% on top of that. Right. I mean, I know up in the north of... Norway, for example, trees go grow extraordinarily slowly. Like yeah, in, well, in England, you know, you plant an acorn, you've got something this big the next year. You have to say in, that because most people are listening. Well, if, <laughs> you've got something an inch big. You have something an inch big. Yeah. In India, I've stood with one-year-old trees that are taller than me, and I'm six foot. Oh yeah, yeah. And one, some yeah, of those yeah. trees will produce fruit in their first year. Right, and that's because the, the climate's different. That's because it's supposed to be hot and wet, yeah. but it's drying out, and yeah. that's what we can't allow to happen. And right. that's another reason why the tropics, because right now our planet arranged herself to have ice at the poles and mm. tropical forest around her waist. Mm-hmm. That ice was partly there to cool us down, but also to reflect the sunlight back off, which is another form of cooling. If you remove the ice, which is what is happening, that warmth then gets absorbed by the oceans and the oceans are not cooled by the ice and therefore the conveyor belts of our oceanic currents which also control the weather are going they're going right now Mm. that means our planet is going to start warming exponentially which basically means if we get over two degrees we'll have no tropical forest because they are due to burn before we get to that temperature so and that's when we're not already doing it for them you know we're burning our tropical forest for the sheer hell of it so that we can get more beef and soy on them in the world but the tropical forests then become absolutely crucial to protect because they then become the primary cooler because they are the hottest band the hottest belt of the planet and so she's put her cooling mechanisms these you know the the transpiration that comes through trees which allows them to produce as much moisture as they do which cools the air and basically creates a belt of cloud around that rainforest creating rain mist cloud but also rain for the rest of the planet if we lose those, we've lost our cooling mechanism. Then we're a planet out of control. Yeah. Thanks a lot for coming today. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's sobering and uh, a little anxiety-provoking to have these I don't, And I don't want to, you know, and I want to say... No, it's important. I'm not, not I want to say, you know, 
cry mm. to everybody. Like if you don't cry, then you're you're missing the exactly. the gift yeah. of the extinctions. You're missing you're missing the process of recognizing and valuing that we had it so good that we grew up with seasons. Like don't go to sleep on the privilege that we have had. Yeah. To, to grow up with seasons and the knowledge that basically we're done now and it's going to be chaos from here on in. But if you let yourself cry, if you let yourself feel it, some part of you that has been in suspended animation, not being willing to be present to what's happening, will move into action. And that's the opportunity here. Yeah. The opportunity is to discover the radical brilliance in every single one of us, to unlock it. And our, and our heart, if we can grieve, our love will push us up against what matters most and then we will act in relationship to what matters most and as much as you cry I've done it thousands countless times now before I've even stopped crying I don't even know when I stopped crying I've had to go and find a pad of paper and start writing things down because the creativity pours out of my grief and then it's just action Claire thank you so much thank you I know you're you're so on fire there's no natural stopping place (laughs) i just want to say grow from this yeah that's all thank you thank you there's a whole conversation we didn't really go into about patriarchy and the rebalancing masculine feminine i just know it's a whole going to be another another hour that we need to unpack that together and i'd love to invite you back to do that that'd be a privilege thank you so much love my pleasure Welcome back. So that was the conversation that happened with Claire Dubois right here in my living room in Nevada City, California. Now, you heard a lot from Claire about the state of the planet, about the state of trees, about oxygen levels, but you also heard her story about receiving a calling from something beyond her own understanding. And that is what I would like to engage you in now. The end of every podcast, I invite you, my friends, to to transform your disposition from one of consumption to one of contribution, to take what you've heard in the conversation and to play it forward in your own life. So, I want to ask you now, what is your what is your equivalent of the voice? that Claire heard after hitting the tree? Is your voice, the voice coming to you, is it a whisper or is it, is it loud? And what is it going to take for you to listen to that voice before you also need to have you know, a car accident with a tree? So take a few moments to reflect. What has the universe been quietly whispering for you to do to take your place in the great order of things? Have you been ignoring it or have you been following it? If you'd like to share your answers, I would love to read them. You can go to radicalbrilliance.com forward slash podcasts and you can write your answers there. You can go to facebook.com forward slash radicalbrilliance, scroll down to where you see this particular podcast announced. You can write your answers there. Either way, I will read and be very interested and I will respond. Thanks for listening to the Radical Brilliance podcast. And our next guest is Andrew Horn who is going to talk about social flow, which means the capacity to develop high-quality interactions with people 
that can allow you to, to engage in such a flowing way that the outcomes that you're looking for become automatic and natural as a byproduct of great flow. Look forward to reconnecting then.